0: This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give the show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done. And kingdom come in your life. This morning, as we continue in our exposition of 1 John, as you turn in your Bible to 1 John 5, will be in chapter, or in 1 John 5, verses 6 through 13. As you turn there, I want to give you a a thought experiment. I want you to imagine something with me this morning. You are in a courtroom. You're in a courtroom. And the judge calls your name from the bench to the hot seat. Right? Has anyone ever been on the witness stand before? Did you tell us about that, Rob? Is there, is there something we need to know about? I know. Okay. No, I know that all of us, have, uh, you and Garrett and myself, we we worked in the, the justice system at one point. So I, I have been on the witness box before, and I've had to give testimony before. You know, Imagine you're this key witness to the case that's being disputed. You're called up, you're sworn in to tell the truth, and then you go into the stand, and the, the lawyers ask you, would you please tell us about what happened? Will you please give us information? How do you know this person? Where were you? Why were you there? In the witness stand, you are testifying as a witness. You are giving corroborative, truthful as possible information concerning the situation at hand. And kiddos, if you hear the word witness or testimony, same thing. You count witness and testimony as as the same word, okay? Today, as we're beginning to wind down our exposition, our exploration of 1 John, John is calling us to the witness stand, as it were, in love, to make sure we understand the case that he has laid out before us throughout this entire epistle. So 1 John 5, 6-13. through This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For th- there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so clear and that it cuts right to the core. Would you have us to receive the implanted word today? Would it bear much fruit in our lives? Would you guide us along by the Holy Spirit? Truth, truth, into you, truth. Would we never be the same today? pray this in your son's name, amen. Last week, we ended our time of studying Scripture by being bolstered in our faith. We talked about faith at the end. And the faith we have, remember that word, overcomes. It gives us victory of the world. The faith we have is full of godly love, compelling us on in the unity of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit. The faith we have is based not on shakeable things, but in the love of God for his people seen predominantly where? In his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, our faith. Our faith is in that Jesus, this Jesus, his full character and his full work, all that he is. So today, while while John is beginning to recap and kind of wind us down into the close of the letter. He poses another question for us in our time of self-examination, much in the manner that he did last week. He he unpacks, like the nesting dolls, the Russianette dolls, again, our faith and what, who it is based in. So here's our question in big, bold letters today. How do I know That what I have placed my faith in is true, and what is the result? It's kind of a two-parter. How do I know that what I have placed my faith in is true, and what is the result? After stating in verse 5 that the one who overcomes, who has victory over the world through this faith, is the one who places their faith in the something, the someone greater than the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 6 tells us, that the testimony, uh, the witness of our faith in Christ is what gives us the victory. Look at verse six this morning. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Great line out of Rock of Ages, right? How many of y'all know that hymn? That's a great one. let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed, And the spirit is the one who testifies because. The truth is, the Spirit is the truth. John gives us an emphatic statement that further develops his teaching of who Jesus is. This is He who came by water and blood. We've seen Jesus as the righteous advocate. We've seen Jesus as the Messiah. We've seen Jesus as the Son of God. And all these various roles are bound up in He, the One who came by the water and the blood. So th- This verse has been noted by one commentator, not just one, many, as the most perplexing, difficult statement in the entire letter of 1 John. And I agree. I do agree. But we have to remember the purpose of 1 John which we read this morning in this chunk of text that we're going to be unpacking. It was a letter to Christians who were being assaulted by false teaching and were being filled with doubt even about the very fundamental things of the faith. So the water and the blood that John talks about here is, is likely a reference to a fa- a phrase or or a saying prevalent during the early church that's sort of lost to us now, possibly it had to do uh, with refuting the false teachers and what they were declaring, and it also may have been some sort of like little creed formulation, like the water and the blood, like a confession. One possible explanation that, that I believe is the correct one is the false teachers that were, were infecting and plaguing the early church that, that John was overseeing and helping to be a pillar to build upon, were, they were claiming that Jesus was just a man and that the Christ spirit or the 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 Holy Spirit descended upon him and then made him holy and then when he died departed he was just a man that's the water part that that is not an old heresy that kind of died off with first John after he kind of cleared up all this stuff it's it's actually quite prevalent today in a movement known as Christ consciousness. There's a few false teachers, one's Richard Rohr, he teaches Christ consciousness as if the Holy Spirit just kind of gives you uh, ideas like that. And and uh, if you've ever heard of like Krishna and all those things, it's Christ consciousness that, that Christ manifests himself in all these various really nice good teachers throughout history like Buddha and Confucius and all these things. So John is saying what? No. Jesus is the Son of God, the only one in His baptism and earthly ministry and in His eternal ministry that comes with His death and resurrection, hence the blood. What John is likely doing here is affirming the fact of the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and the resurrection, Jesus raising that sacrificed flesh in the same flesh and and blood. He's making this creedal formulation to refute these false teachers. Incarnation and resurrection. See, church, I hope that you caught that. I hope you catch this. The incarnation and the resurrection are twin doctrines that must live together, unseparated, in their Father's house forever. See, what God has joined together let no man separate. We cannot just have the incarnation and not have the resurrection, and we can't just have the resurrection and no incarnation. They go together. Christ taking on flesh as both God and man to redeem man to the glory of God, the incarnation, means the flesh that He rose from the grave in is that same exact flesh. To celebrate celebrate Christmas is to celebrate Easter and vice versa. And to celebrate Easter Each is to celebrate our blessed hope as Christians, his second advent, the final resurrection of which we will partake in. That's what we have. So this Jesus, this is he, him, the one in whom we have faith, is true from start to finish, from water to blood. Uh, Also, the water and the blood likely carry some underlying meanings such as water cleansing us from sin and the blood buying our redemption. Concepts laid out concerning the priesthood of who Jesus is, the fulfillment, the greater high priest in in Exodus 29. So we have that perfect and great high priest who washes us with the water of his word and buys us with his own blood as our sacrifice. Whatever the case may be concerning this Mysterious phrase, the water and the blood. We see John move it into saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who, who verifies the importance of the water and the blood because the Spirit is truth, is truth, not like truth, sort of truthful, to be thought of as truth, is emphatic. Jesus, Jesus himself use this very descriptor about the Holy Spirit in. John's Gospel, the same author of 1 John. John 16, 13 says this. When the spirit of truth comes, oh, there it is. When the spirit of truth comes, he, not it, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Indeed, I want you to realize this. The very letter that we are studying is a fulfillment of those words of Christ. John was guided by the Holy Spirit in truth to write these truthful things for us. So since we know the Holy Spirit is God based upon our studies of the past few weeks, we can be assured that what the Holy Spirit says is the objective only real truth that there is, what Francis Schaeffer called true truth. True truth. The testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning who God is, who Christ is, who God is, coupled with the water and the blood are unique. They're very unique in that they form a testimony, an account, a witness of who Jesus is. 1 John 5, 7 through 8. This is what it's about. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. They're not pitted against one another. It's not calling to the stand, the spirit, and then the water and the blood, and they're all giving contradictory accounts. It's these three agree. Within the Jewish legal system that was established under Moses, no dispute could come before the law courts, the judges, unless there were two or three witnesses. See that in Deuteronomy 17. John, he knows his Old Testament. He's being carried along by the same Spirit who breathed out that system. And He knows that He needs to lay down this witness for us and not just one, three witnesses, the Holy Spirit presented as the primary witness, the lead witness in the case. How exactly is John helping reassure the steadfastness of the source, object of our faith, Jesus, with this little odd phrase? Spirit's water, the blood. These these three agree. John is calling us to realize the testimony concerning Christ, Jesus, in this manner. John Stott says it this way, in the objective and the subjective, the historical and the experimental, and not like experimental like chemistry. The objective and the subjective, the historical and the experimental we have the historical claims of who Christ was and is laid out throughout all the scriptures they're all confirmed by hundreds if not thousands of witnesses in the very pages of scripture confirmed by his disciples the very ones Jesus uh the very ones who saw Jesus in the water the very ones who saw the blood come out of him the very ones who saw him raised from the dead we can see this as an example in first Corinthians 15, Paul says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Ooh, stout words. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So, what did he receive? This is the gospel that Paul received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul. We have all this witness this historical witness, but we don't only have this historical witness, which also includes a lot of archaeology that they're digging up every day over there in the Middle East, which also further verifies the Bible. We don't have just that. We have the experimental testimony. We have the historical in God's word, in archaeology, and all of these things, but we also have the experimental, the subjective That is the testimony within each and every single individual person. I know it's been a little hectic. I know the kids are a little little wild right now. It's okay. I want to lead you along so we all hear this. John is saying this. If the Spirit indwells you, the believer, and brings you to faith in Christ and the Christ of faith, then the faith we have... Is not from us. It's something we don't muster up on our own. The faith we have in Christ is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit confirms us the truth, since He is truth of who Jesus is. The subjective nature that is particular to each child of God, hear me, the subjective nature is not subjective truth, where one person believes something about Jesus that contradicts the other. That's not what we're putting down here. The subjective aspect of the truth in, in each individual whom God calls upon himself, unto himself, it's the same thing, varying through each individual. We don't have one person that's like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, Yay, we affirm that truth. You live your truth, girl. All right, one to laugh on that one. Right, and then, I believe Jesus is a velociraptor. Yay, you do you. That's great. We like that too. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about with subjectivity. That is what our world wants you to believe. That everybody can just have their own truth, live their best life now. You can believe Jesus was the son of God, velociraptor, woman, transgender, whatever. And all those things are actually real. People really do believe that Jesus was a velociraptor. That is real that not the most insane thing you've ever heard? The subjectivity is each individual person, different, subjective, confirms the same truth. The Holy Spirit is truth, gives us the gift of faith to trust in all that Jesus is and all that he has done. And that means, further, if you're a good logician, that means Jesus is the truth as well. And indeed he is. This is what Jesus says in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if that's the case, then the Father is also truth. God is truth. The whole aspect of the Trinity is truth. And these these verses act as a miniature version of what John has told us already way back in chapters 1 and 2. This, this whole letter of 1 John is a testimony about the truth and the truth, in part, is seen in realizing that we are sinners. The truth is seen that we're like these kids this morning. That we we don't know what to do sometimes. And we think that we do, and we, we get ourselves into trouble. The whole letter is a testimony about the truth. Indeed, the truth being in us, if we have that truth, if by the Holy Spirit confirming the person and work of Christ to us, then Jesus, again, cannot mean multiple things to everyone. We must rely upon the Spirit confirming confirming within us who Christ is based upon not how we feel about Jesus, not the Jesus that we form in our minds, but upon the testimony of Scripture based upon the events that are recorded in it. And that's what John tells us in verse 9. First John 5, 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. We're going to pause right there. How often have you ever heard this, this phrase right here? You can take my word for it. Usually it's in an infomercial, right? God rest his soul, Billy Mays, he was the best at it. Take my word for it, OxyClean. You have like blood stains and burrito stains and all these things in your shirt. Get some OxyClean. OxyClean, you can take my word for it, it'll get all those out, even like the the murder scene that you just committed. It'll get that out of those sheets. You can take my word for it. He didn't really say that. Okay. We hear that all the time. Yet we take people's word for it so often, so much quicker then we do God's word. Yes, there may be something that a person tells us that is true, but they aren't truth. God is truth. And so often we would rather take their word about a restaurant and a vacation spot and a car and whatever and then neglect the word of God and say, eh, well, whatever. We, we have it plain before us in, in front of us. You know the the blood that was spilt for you to have this word. It's right in front of us. It says exactly what we've been looking at so far. And yet we will still have people who are like, I know that homosexuality is sin. It says it right there in the scripture, but but that, that was cultural. I know that women can't be pastors, but feminism taught us this. That was just culture. That was Paul and John and Peter and everybody being misogynistic and all that stuff. I, I know all these things that say in the very beginning, God created in six literal days, but that was just a metaphor. We know that we have the truth of Scripture right before us, the testimony, and yet we still bend it so we can praise men rather than God because we'd rather take men's truth and twist God's word and pervert it so that we can all feel better about ourselves and please the world. That is why we're in a lot of mess that we are. Men are not true. You are not true. You're not true. You're not true. None of us are true. Men are liars. Romans 3, that's that's our nature. Men amass for themselves false teachers who scratch their itching ears. It doesn't matter who you say Jesus is does not matter who you say he is, who you think that he is, based upon your little idea of who you think he is, whether you think he had long hair or short hair or a beard or he carried a lamb around for everybody to do petting zoo with or whatever. does not matter who you think he is. It is what the scriptures say that he is, who they say that he is, and then you and your confession of who he is lines up with that. That. Paradox. And really, it is. Think about this. It, it does matter who you say he is concerning your salvation, but it doesn't at the same time because you don't get to choose who he is. You can say that he was just a man. You can say that he was just a myth. You can say that he was a velociraptor. Doesn't matter. Your testimony does not make it true. The only testimony, the only confession that matters is the only one that is true. And that is what God has said. You can either rightly echo that or you can echo some false perversion that is hellish and wretched and a perpetual lie. And this is the testimony of who Jesus is described in this short little pithy statement, generalized statement by John concerning what the Holy Spirit testifies concerning the person and work of Jesus. Verses 10 and 11. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and the life is in his son. Church, where are you placing your faith? Where are you placing your faith? In God, who is true and has assured you of eternal life in Christ, Or are you believing literally anything and everything else that you can get your hands and your mind on to give you eternal life? What are you placing your faith in? It's uncomfortable to think about sometimes, isn't it? Whose testimony do you echo? In four verses... John uses the word testimony eight times. Who wants to repeat what I've said so far in the past few weeks? When the Bible repeats itself, what? We need to listen. John uses the word testimony eight times in four verses. Every single mention of this word is the same word in the Greek. I know sometimes our English translations change them up a little bit to to help us process what is being said. It's the same word in the original, martus, where we get the word martyr. It's where we get the word martyr. And what is a martyr? A martyr is someone who dies for what they believe in with conviction and boldness. You want to see martyr's blood? Hold that in your hand. That's martyr's blood. We have men and women this very day that are dying with boldness and conviction for the truth of God's word. They testify it and they live it out. It's going on right now, fiercely in Africa. We've had like a hundred and some Christians killed even just in the past week because of their conviction of faith. And yet, here's the thing. Believer... You're called to be a martyr. You're called to be a martyr. Each day, you are called to die to yourself. You're called to die to yourself. As as a witness to the truth within you, Holy Spirit. I pray God would spare us and our children and our children's children from having to die physically because of the truth. I pray that's the case. However, realize that graciousness, if He spares us that lot, will not exempt us from being martyrs. We're martyrs every day. And let me pause here and say this. That's being a martyr. Everybody focus right here, okay? I see people getting aggravated. That's being a martyr. Being a mother and a father to get up, and discipline your children, fear them in the righteousness, raise them in the righteousness and fear and admonition of the Lord. That's being a martyr because you're dying to yourself. You were a child once. You didn't know how to act. And so many times we still don't. That's being a martyr. That's dying to yourself. That's teaching them to fear the Lord. Now I pray that you would see that you're called to be a martyr. And you are a martyr. You should be a martyr every single day. The testimony, the witness, the content and component of our victorious faith points to a Savior who martyred himself, who was martyred, to die that we may live eternally. Yes, we may not all have a physical martyrdom, but every day we are called to pick up our cross, which was a device of martyrdom. Follow Christ. That's the testimony. That's the witness. Our testimony, our witness. While it does include us, does include us, it's pointing to something beyond us. And we hear the word testimony. And we automatically go to revival meeting at the little country church, and everybody's gonna get up and give an hour testimony. Right? Oh, here's my testimony. My cat was sick this week, and then I took him to the doctor, and then I prayed over him, and then I went to... And it's all about the person, not actually anything. It's just them standing in front of people, having other people look at them so they can talk about themselves. That's not what a true testimony is. I received a testimony from a man this week that was so gracious and so filled with the kindness of God because he pointed away from himself himself to tell about the grace of God in his life. That is a true testimony because what you're doing in that moment is dying to yourself so that Christ may be exalted. And it's a paradox that we we live, truly live by dying. Martyrdom. Dying for the faith is where true life from God is found. And yet, we must realize this. You must have the Son to have true life life for the son is true all he is and all that he does is true and if true the child of god is only a true child of god if he looks unto christ in faith this is how john restates this short little positive negative statement in verse 12 whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life there's no gray area there there's no gray area you have the son you have life if you do not have the son you do not have life dear listener Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your trust? Is it in in something abstract? Just an idea? It can't be. It cannot be. Our faith is in the real. The faith that overcomes the world is not in something that's just out there floating around in the air. It is in the real. It is in the real. And not only that, but our faith is made manifest in how we live our lives. Just as as our love is inside and out, so is our faith, what we place our confidence in. No martyr dies because of something they keep to themselves. No martyr dies because of something they keep to themselves, their little private faith on the inside. So it must be with you. Pick up your cross daily, dying to your sin. The life of faith is faith, in the steadfastness of life and its purpose. So what is your faith in? Is it in man? Is it in something that will fade like the grass, in the latest fad like transgenderism, in medical overlordism, in the government, which is as fickle as gender, apparently. Is it in your money? Is it in your career? Is it in your spouse? Is it in your own body? Is it in your education? Is it in your status? Is it in any of those things? Because if it is, none of those things that you're placing your faith in will give you eternal life because all those things, too, will perish. It will. None of these things are worth being a witness to. None of these are worthy of death. None of these will save you because none of them will Were martyred for you. If you do not have Christ, you do not have the truth. And if you do not have the truth, you do not have life. You have a lie and you have something eternal, eternal death. Christ is the truth, the testimony, the martyr of eternal life. You must, you have to look unto him. Look unto the perfect life of Christ who lived in your place, who lived in your place. Upholding the righteous law of God perfectly, which you cannot. You cannot look unto his perfect suffering for you that you deserve, that you would incur every day. Look to his perfect death, the sentence that you deserve because of your sin, your rebellion. Look unto him, look unto the great exchange, love for hatred enemies, for friends. Jesus, the sinless becoming sin, looked to him upon the cross and separated from the Father and the Spirit. Look unto him. And then look unto his body in the tomb. Look unto it. Because that should have been you. You. You deserve to be beaten. You deserve to be tortured made shameful because of your shameful sin. But look into the tomb empty. We always want to stop there. Oh, woe is me. Yes, oh, woe is you. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. But look into the empty tomb. For the sinless Son of God should not stay dead since it was your sin and not his if he willingly took your sin and cannot stay in that grave, then he will willingly give you your life and life abundantly because it is not from you, it is his life. And if he is God in the flesh and God is eternal, he gives you not just some life here and now, he gives you life forevermore. Why do we never, ever, ever get excited about that anymore? I'll tell you why, because we have all because of the culture we live in, have bought into the lie of just materialism, and this is just all there is. This is a blip. You will live eternally, and eternal life starts now. Look to Christ in faith. This must be our testimony. This must be your testimony, but we have not borne witness to this ourselves. Remember, this is a gift And it is a gift that has overcome the world. It rebirths the world one person at a time. And if this be our truth, our way, our life, our faith, then we who believe this and hold fast can be assured. We can rest assured. And that's what John drives home with verse 13. I write these things to you. I write these things to you. Believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know. That you may know. Beloved, you can never get past the reality of the purpose of 1 John. You can't. You may know that you have eternal life. There's no little orphan anything to decode in this for your Ovaltine drink. It, here's the purpose. That you may know that you have eternal life. How? through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the reconciling righteous Redeemer, who is truth, who is life, who is the object and affection of our faith. If we can take hold of what John says that you may know and be assured, then, then how can we not overcome anything and everything that the world tries to throw at us? We must and we will. John Stott, again, perfectly captures this passage the way of life is faith and the way to faith is testimony god has borne witness to his son in order that we may believe in him and so have him and having him have eternal life what is your faith in what do you place your faith in something other than the lord cannot be beloved don't forget this John has been giving us all these thesis statements, these purpose statements throughout his letter. Writing these things, so your joy may be complete, so that you may not sin, because your sins have been forgiven, because you know him who is from the beginning, because uh, the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one, because you know the truth, because there are people that are trying to deceive you, so that you may know that you have eternal life. How can your joy and the joy of the apostles and their message not be complete when you know all that John has given us this, thus far. So, how do you know you've placed your faith in the truth? Is it this? Is it all of this? Is this the message Is it in Christ it must be? And if so, what is your result? Joy. It's fellowship. It's knowing with assurance. Who's you are, knowing that you live eternally, starting now. Church, the, the usage of First John as a self-examination doesn't mean that if we come out the other side seemingly doing well, that the self-examination is the foundation of our assurance. Don't get caught up in the wrong idea of what First John's all about. It's not a law unto itself. No, the self-examination's Contained within 1 John is not concerned with itself, but about the truth of God's promise to bring his people back unto himself in the person and work of his Son. This is the testimony. This is our martyrdom. This is what we witness to. If you who bear the name of Christ witness to anything else, you are lying. Do not make God a liar. Repent ye therefore, turn back and be saved, be reconciled, and bear right witness. Have Christ look to you as Peter and ask you, who do you say that I am? And you say in response, you are the Christ, the living one of God, and I will pick up my cross daily and follow you. I will not listen to the rooster crow. I will follow you into death, and I will follow you into life. You are my Lord, you are my good shepherd. Make me lie down, make me drink, make me eat, make me be anointed, not by anything that I do for myself, but all from you. Give you glory, I will, Lord Jesus. That is our faith that overcomes the world and it must, and it will, and it has, it will not fail. I wanna give you one more bonus question. How can this not change every aspect of how you live? How does it not? We 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 come wanting ex- some sort of experience to, at, at worship, at church. We want these experiences. Oh man, the message wasn't that good today. I didn't feel the spirit. I didn't really like the songs. The kids were crazy today. I couldn't focus. I guess I didn't have a good day. I guess we didn't worship well today. I guess we didn't really get to hear the truth today. That's a wicked lie of your flesh and the enemy. You You want to experience? Walk out the door. Feel the air upon your skin. See the sun all around you. And realize that He gives all of those things to the just and unjust alike. You want an experience? Realize that you're having it right now as you breathe, as you suck air through your nostrils because you live and move and have your being in God who is truth. Are you living in that truth? Or do you set up false idols for yourselves? This is why we read the Word. This is why we read it and this is why we study it so that you may know that you have eternal life. So live like it, with joy, Have it completed. Church, today is a weird day, isn't it? I feel that it's weird. You know why? Because we're weird people who come in carrying sin. We so flippantly come before a holy God that we just sang about this morning. We just kind of go through the motions sometimes. and We get upset about things. Do you know what, what God tells the priests in Malachi who do the same thing? Let me tell you what I think about your worship. It stinks. Why would God say that? That's No, he goes a little further and he says, I will spread dung on your faces and I will carry you away outside the camp and burn you with it. That's a holy God. Let us never neglect the fact that when we gather together, as the saints of God, the beloved, sometimes we gather as His children to be disciplined. We don't just gather as brats to get what we want. Church, I want you to receive this testimony this morning. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Look to Him and believe and live that out with joy. Because if you do not, You who walk around bearing the name of Jesus Christ, your Savior, the Advocate, the Son of God, with a frown upon your face, say that your salvation is the worst Christmas gift, the worst pair of socks that you ever got. And you just put them on when Grandma comes over. You just put them on to make her feel good when you go to church. Look unto the cross. Be a martyr. Die to yourself. Know that you are a child of God, beloved. Have eternal life confirmed to you because you look to Him in truth. You look to Him in faith. And not because you think it's true, because He says it is. We must take Him at His word. Grace and peace be.